0: Hello, welcome to the final cycling industry news podcast of the year. We are gonna do a wrap up of 2022 in the bike industry the best we can. And there's definitely no one better to speak to about that than Dominic Langan, CEO of the mighty Madison in the UK. So Dom, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for asking me. So what we wanted to do, like I said, is have an annual recap and to look forward to 2023 because things have been so uncertain for so long now for all of us in the business. So how did the industry change from a retail and distributor point of view, do you think, in the last 12 months? Um, I, I
1: think, um, you know, for the, during 2020 and 2021, uh, well, certainly uh, by quarter two of 2020, the, you know, we had business just falling on our lap in a lot of cases the demand for bicycles was huge prior to that it the market wasn't terribly exciting um so you know certainly by march 2020 we weren't feeling that optimistic that it was going to be a, you know an exceptional year but obviously after the 23rd of march and uh and and cycling was allowed to uh, be one of the activities you could do um you know things changed very rapidly and i think um we all got used to you know business being very fast and rapid and exciting um and but certainly i would say it started to change possibly from about july 2021 after the sort of the boris freedom day and i, I think uh, we started to see gradual decline uh of, of demand as people you know had other things to spend money on such as you know going out and the restaurants were open and so on i think the the challenge we all had was knowing as to whether you know how quickly that decline uh you know would would go whether it would be uh, you know slow we felt there'd been a big cultural change in how people were behaving and their relationship recycling um so we kind of thought yes it would you know we knew it was a wave but we thought that the uh it would sort of be a, a gradual uh settling down of the market but it, it you know it seemed to pick up pace but some of that being exacerbated by obviously by uh russia invading ukraine and uh and various other political challenges we've had in our country but um so i think it it's just made people you know you've had to work harder and smarter i think that's probably what's changed this year and it's just how quickly you recognize that and um and how quickly you got on with doing that is probably the the change and, uh, I, and I think um a lot of shops kind of enjoyed it being very workshop orientated and now you're back into you know having to really get back into proper retail graft uh, again um, and, and all those things. So it's just trying to get people back into that. Uh, that's probably the biggest change I'd say this year and I think even as a distributor it's getting everyone you know I think the working from home the um, you know just how business was in the last two years you've got to get everyone back to really being in, you know, on top of their game, um, and you know that takes a bit of time, and it's, you know, that's what we've really tried to jump on top of really quickly. But um, yeah, it's it's back to a more normal market, so that's uh, where we're at again now.
0: Well, it certainly seems to be showing, you know, we going on the various B two B's, and there is more and more stock available now. Crystal balling can be completely pointless, but knowing what we do. What are your expectations of the retail market in twenty twenty three for maybe the first and second half? Um, it's a difficult one.
1: You know, we're, we're sort of doing all our budgeting process at the moment, and uh, I th- it just all depends on consumer confidence. Um, I think there are right now. I think people are just extremely concerned about uh, their, the state of their own personal finances, how much they're heating. Uh, and uh, food bills and, you know, their fuel uh, for commuting to work or whatever it may be, those are the costs that are the biggest concern. And, um, you know, with inflation, you know, announced there 11%, it's, you know, that's a big concern. And I think that's what's really hurt us more than anything. I think, you know, certainly from what I understand, you know, a lot of people took up cycling during the pandemic. And a lot of them anecdotally from what I hear from customers are saying that they're still riding their bikes. So, but they're just, you know, they're not wanting to spend uh, on big ticket items at this moment in time. They're too nervous. So, again, um, it's, it's uh, you yeah, know, I think if if suddenly uh, the war in Ukraine stopped and, uh, you know, and, and maybe fuel supplies, the gas supplies and things like that, and shipping out of Ukraine and all those sort of things start happening again. I think we could see a very rapid bounce, but it just depends on how, you know, I'm not sure any of us are that confident it'll be over over that quickly. So it's, um uh, you know, really, we've just got to work hard and, you know, just try and focus on what we've got. I think as the year goes on, we're, we're anticipating it could become a more positive um, uh you know, outlook. But uh, certainly I think into the first half of next year, it's still going to be much the same as it is now. It's going to be quite hard work and people are going to be nervous, um, and, you know, and, that, and we just got to try and make sure we adapt our business to suit those customers and, uh, and what the customers are asking for.
0: And for people in the industry who are listening and they're thinking, are they going to survive next year? Are they going to thrive in the next year, what would you think would be the differentiating factors between businesses that are doing those two things?
1: Well, I'd say yeah. I mean, I think the you know it's what is always the, the the difference between those that survive and don't, uh, and it's about adapting and remaining relevant to the customer. I mean, it's um, um, you, we, you've got to keep on doing it. You can't stand still. So you know, th- this is the the, the sort of uh, The hand of cards we've been dealt at the moment and we have to find a way of you know adapting to to meet that customer um people are still you know they haven't stopped riding bikes there are still customers doing things but they you know they may be not looking to buy a bike right now or certainly at certain price points but um you know there's still opportunities out there so i think it's um i think everyone in business if, if you're not sitting there thinking all the time how how can you adapt how can you make yourself relevant how can you succeed if you're not doing that all the time then that is a problem i think and it's it doesn't matter what state the market's in you know companies um you know once really successful companies sometimes disappear you know and it's um because they just haven't tried to keep up with things so i'd say any anyone really in any business that's what you've got to do no matter it's not just the cycle industry i think it's um you know every type of market conditions you know presents its own challenges and its own opportunities and it's just trying to figure out which ones to go for really uh, but you've got to be thinking it all the time and not hoping that it's suddenly going to just walk through the door
0: and land on your lap so Mm. I think that's yeah that's probably all I can say on that and in terms of 2020, when, like you said, it was a big boost, you know, for lots of businesses, lots of extra cash coming in, did you notice that cash boost being reinvested, um, you know, through, you know, your sort of Madison accounts or were, were people, you know, buying up lots of inventory as soon as they had the cash? What did you notice? Uh, I, I think I think a lot of – I say that a lot of the specialist retailers um, did do that.
1: Um I think, you know, they obviously did invest in stock, but, um, you know, it became, you know, certainly during last year, it became more challenging uh, to get hold of stock. Mm-hmm. Um, although that you know, that's now changed and swung quite completely the other way uh, this year. But I think um, a lot of them did do things to improve their stores. I think, um, uh, you know, it gave them the opportunity. Certainly early on this year, we spent a lot of time out there trying to help, stores that wanted our help uh you know to re-merchandise and look at um how the you know the layouts and training and all those sort of things so I, I think on the whole they you know they they did use the money well um you know i think they seem to still you know to be fair i think they're you know the ibd sector is one that's still performing better than other parts of the market uh and i think they you know they they had a a good pandemic in that regard i think the local bike shop and well and local businesses generally were seen to be you know quite central to what was going on in people's lives when a lot of the other things weren't accessible or shut and so on that those places were still there and operating and supporting their local communities i think you know i'm sure some of that may wane as time goes on but uh, you know certainly from what we've seen you know that the good shops planned they you know. They were wary about how much they were ordering. I think, you know, in some cases they probably overordered. I'm sure, you know, everyone has. But uh, I I think the smarter ones were on it and getting and cancelling where they needed to and uh, and so on. But, you know, as I said earlier, no one quite knew how quickly the the demand would drop off. And I think it probably drops off quicker than nearly anyone was anticipating. And certainly I think that isn't just a UK thing. That's uh, everyone you speak to. It seems to be the same story. So but i think you know that certainly the smaller retailers are a bit more agile and um you know they're not planning as many months in advance as some of the bigger guys so it is slightly easier for them to you know keep on top of it but um you know it's yeah i think the smarter ones have you know put that money aside and uh you know are in a reasonably good place and i have to say certainly from our business point of view we're not sitting here looking at a you know rowing a uh, lot of sort of um uh, outstanding debts or anything like that so it still you know looks pretty robust so we're, we're pleased about that
0: well, sounds good and um there's <laughs> certain things you can't overstock on you can't have too many 1132 cassettes for example <laughs> Yeah, now, like a lot of people in the bike industry you're an incredibly familiar voice to me um, from my attending ice bike which is you know always good fun um the letters that you send out that are always well thought through and interesting and you have been incredibly proactive and communicative with you know the grunts of the bike trade um so what is is that a, a general philosophy a personal philosophy or is that part of the branding of madison um it's something i've
1: always done um and i think it's you know i've been at madison for 33 years this year but i've um i only took over ceo at the end of um 2005 and i think at that time i think madison was seen as a bit of a a faceless um sort of big entity that no one you know no it, it was seen as a bit cold i think is the reality of it and um so what I wanted to try and do is just, um, you know, cause actually it isn't like that in Madison and anyone, you know, as anyone that's sort of been at ice bike and in the karaoke or whatever, they kind of know that isn't how we are, but I think maybe that is how it came across in the past. So, you know, I've just tried to, you know, try and bring some sort of, uh, you know, some, you know, a face to the business really. And, and when, on things like the, you know, the bike trade buzz forum and stuff, I've always posted on there. Sometimes I do it because, I just want to put the record straight if, you know, if they're, if they're saying something and uh, it's not true, <laughs> I will try and jump in. Or if they're saying something and actually, it, you know, it can be valid and we need to look at it, you know, I do that as well. So I think it, you know, so unfortunately, they that now just head up um, topics as dear Dom. So I kind of know I'm in for it if um, that happens. But, but um, you know, it, it's. I think it just, um, you know, I think it's good, you know, I, I do the sort of DOM column. I haven't done it for a while, but I did one recently because I think quite a lot's changed. Um, and it's, you know, I don't know whether people care about it or not, but it's at least sort of giving them a perspective uh, what, what's going on from our perspective. And, uh, you know, that, and I think it just helps for people that are in their, you know, maybe in their business all day and, and feeling pressure and r- not really having a chance to, you know, stick their head out and see what's going on. And it, at least hopefully gives them a, a feeling that uh, what they're experiencing may not be just them. And, uh, you know, so it, it's just, you know, trying to be a bit open and supportive and, um, and, sh- you know, and hopefully um, customers value that and see Madison as a sort of a, a steady ship um, and someone that's, you know, behaves in a certain way. And that's kind of, you know, nicely for, you know, a nice thing for us is that we are privately owned and have been since 2001 and that allows us to be, you know, be able to behave. We're not under any sort of short-term pressures that, you know, other businesses may be due to how they're structured and, uh, you know, whether they've got owners or investors and so on. It's slightly different for us. And that gives me a lot of, you know, opportunity to do things that maybe some others aren't in the position to do. But, but uh, you know, we just want to communicate with our customers if we can. And we've got a lot of customers and it's it's just finding ways of doing that. You know, obviously, Icebike is really good because we get to see a lot of people um uh, over a couple of days and they tend to spend a lot of time there but you know I can't go and visit every single customer so it's you know it's a good opportunity for me to be able to communicate and hopefully you know uh, my email address is out there if people want to get in touch with me they can get in touch with me the, and some do some don't but uh, you know it's it's there and it's in the open so hopefully it's just to make us approachable that's the the main thing really
0: yeah. And obviously everyone listening to this is aware of the challenges of, of retail and work, workshops in the last few years. And certainly I remember in sort of my early days in the bike industry going to a, a trade show. And the boss of this particular importer got up and did a presentation of how the supply chain worked and what their role yeah. was within the supply chain. And, of course, we're looking at raw materials, shipping, currency fluctuations, mm-hmm. market trends. And it was an incredible eye-opener, both for myself and I think everyone in the room. And I was like, wow, that's yeah. really tough. So what sort of challenges are you or other distributors faced lately that we may not know about? Well, I mean, it's, it's funny you say that because a few mm. years ago, I mean, there, I can't remember, but it was probably
1: quite a long time ago, but um, there was a thread about basically what value do distributors add to the market. And, um, you know, I, th- I think we add a lot of value because, I mean, we're here, you know, we help promote the brands, but we also provide a lot of credit and liquidity to the market. So, mm. you know, uh, quite a significant amount without which, you know, the, the industry wouldn't be where it is. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, the challenge is always for, you know, i say for a cycle distributor is trying to predict what people are going to order because, um, you know, it's it's a long time ago, really, since uh, people placed forward orders for the season and you knew exactly what everyone wanted. We have to, our job is to guess. And, um, you, know, we, and uh, you know, what 2,000 plus customers are going to want at certain times and try and make sure we do that, you know, as effectively as possible. I mean, Madison has always, you know, uh, try to sort of be uh you know be the warehouse for our customers we don't expect our customers to get you know we don't force stock and we haven't forced people to take stock that they ordered mean, in fact we encouraged them to cancel orders when we thought they were unrealistic last year uh, and this year so you know what we want you know it's not in our interest to stuff a shop full of stock that doesn't move you know so we've got a you know we want them to only have stock that moves through quickly they reorder make money we make money that's it. you know it what we actually do is quite a simple proposition we hopefully have the goods that they want at the price that works for them and uh you know we we sell it to them they pay for it and and the round it goes and that's what we do but our the the challenge for every sort of supplier is really trying to work out uh what they're going to buy and uh because not many retailers do range plans for their stores not many you know stuff new stuff comes out all the time uh the you know people you know offer different promotions and so on so there's constant things going on so i, I guess for us it's you know it, and you've got to offer terms to customers and the margins uh, to make it worthwhile you know it's expensive to run a shop we appreciate that that you know it costs to do it um so it, all the time i think we've we've got to be working hard to make sure the proposition is is right for the retailer, uh, and and also then have the funds to be able to support the stock we have to hold, um, and the gamble that you know, and the, down to our stock controllers and brand managers and stuff to know the market and the feedback we get from our market to make sure we're we're buying the right things in the right quantities because everything else becomes a bit of a millstone. So you know, I think that's what distributors do, um, and and retailers have the opportunity to choose from that what they want without you know, without really that much commitment, um, you know, certainly, you know, for the, a lot of the specialist retailers, they they decide what they want every week and often on a daily basis. Um, and we have to have those systems in place to get it there quickly as well. So, I mean, there's a, you know, we, it's a, it's, you know, I guess it's a bit of a gamble what we have to do, but we do it an educated gamble because we've been doing it a long time. We've got experienced people, but, you know, sometimes we do get things wrong, of course, um, uh, and, and where you think something's going to be really good and it isn't, or where you don't think something's going to be as good as it is and it ends up being the winner, you know, sometimes, you know, and unfortunately we have quite long lead times, so that's the challenge, really. Um, but, um, you know, so I think distributors, you know, do have a big role to play in the marketplace, and uh, they, there may be frustrations from time to time with, with the retailers, with a distributor, but, you know, and even during the pandemic, you know, it, it, we try. I mean, we supplied a lot of stock and we sourced a hell of a lot and we did, you know, a good job. But at the end of the day, there was, you know, it, if that was just the UK market that saw the boom, we would have easily been able to accommodate it. But because it was across the whole world, um, everyone chasing after the same products. I and mean, we were, you know, at certain points, there were lead times on things like saddles of over 600 days, you know, it's it was just, crazy in the end but i think on the whole we did the best we could um to 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 look after the retailers which is what we want to do and you know and even to the extent where we even rationed stock to ensure that workshops could stay open so we do take yeah we know we have a responsibility to the retailers they rely on us so we you know we take that really seriously but um you know for us i think that's the thing we we have a lot of risk Um, and actually you know you know that's the challenge for us and it's just how you know our planning and um you know our knowledge of market is really key to you know being successful or not or you know and how good the risk is really uh,
0: yeah so looking at the the competitive element then between the big brands which seems to be elevating all the time people like pond growing in strength who you know got portfolios way beyond the the bike industry so how does this fight for market share affect a distributor like madison and its ability to main strong dealerships for brands like genesis and ridgeback um well you know it's uh, i would say i mean
1: there are some big entities in the market um and they're all you know, got their strategies and they're all doing slightly different things. But to be honest, I'm not sure that's really different to any other time. You know, they, they may just be, you know, slightly different entities we're dealing with, but there's, it's constantly, a, it's always a fight for share. I mean, that is what we do. Um, and I think, again, it's, you know, we, we have to, you know, that, we have to look at where you know the opponent's weak spots are and and then try and find how we use that to our advantage i guess that's you know again it's just what everyone has to do you know if you're if you've got a more than one bike shop in the town or you know or you feel that you're competing with someone that's what you have to look for and um i think for these bigger companies uh or these global companies are doing it doesn't appeal always to um the the sort of the independent nature of our our retail network so in some cases people really like what they're offering and in other places it's you know it's completely unattractive to them so i think it's just you know we have to find our opportunity and see you know and position how we're different we you know our bike brands are you know we, we do export genesis quite successfully but you know in the scheme of things we're minnow brands uh, with richback and, uh, and genesis so you know but we think we you know but we have certain usps and that we're they're nice good quality well made well thought out products you know the right pricing for the most part uh, you know it can be a challenge at time at times but um, you know it's, it's also how we look after our market how we go to market those brands. So we have to just look at all those things really. And, um, but, um, you know, it's, there's still opportunities there, I'd say. Um, and I think we, we've always, it's always a fight over who gets what, but, um, but you know, luckily we have a very sort of um, strong network of independent retailers that also have a view of what they want. And um, so it's, um, you know, it keeps it interesting, put it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And talking of trends um e-bikes were kind of like the joke of the cycle shows every year you know every year people were saying oh is this the year for e-bikes and, oh no and then all of a sudden they were and e-bikes of course have kept a tremendous amount of people afloat um absolutely booming e-bike specialist stores everywhere do you think the greatest opportunity is ahead here though
1: uh yeah i mean we're still tracking a long way behind uh you know countries in europe so i, I think we are a bit slow to um you know adapt to e-bikes i think i think there is as a country we're still you know see cycling as a sports enthusiast you know it's a sports enthusiast hobby you know and um, and we don't really see it as a as a, a mode of transport um so i think that those things are changing um i think e-bikes opens that up more but um you know i I have to say my outlook for the sort of not just e-bikes but for cycling um sort of medium to long-term outlook i think is incredibly positive we have got so far to go yet um so you know i just don't know what timeline it will be over but the potential for us is is huge i think we obviously have big cultural barriers uh compared to some other countries in Europe of, you know, how dominant the car is and how much space is given to the car rather than to the bike but I think, you know, we we saw during the pandemic when there were no, or certainly a lot less cars on the roads so that it, 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 you know, it is a completely different experience to be riding and I think the, the low traffic neighbourhoods, although there's loads of people protesting against them uh, but equally, you know, some have gone but equally some are, you know, more are being open. So I think, you know, it has to be, you know, there has to be a change, you know, we get um, all that you know, so many journeys are quite short distances in cars, you know, and sooner or later, you know, people Even I think it's probably only when it really hurts the consumer in the pocket uh, will people really change, but we, we need councils to change and, uh, you know, and the planners and the town planners and the whole infrastructure really needs to be, Designed to, to you know, with the car not being the dominant thought for everything. So I think you know, as much as I use cars, and everyone in the industry uses a car as well, we know that the fit ultimately it's it's you know for certain journeys it is just you know there has to be better solutions. And I think you know, so from that, you know, I don't know how long it will take, and I'm sure culturally it's going to take this country a long time kicking and screaming. But with people already paying you Les, to get into towns or um uh you know the the, the the amount of money it costs for a liter of fuel diesel or petrol you know sooner or later and you know and the cost of cars and parking them and you know everything people are probably re-looking really at it and really considering and we've seen it ourselves with cargo bikes you know we we offer a small number of them and we're seeing great demand for that it's a big investment but people are using that as a way of getting rid of maybe a second car or changing completely how they go about their lifestyle so i think people you know are getting more worried about the environment um, and, and uh, you know the future for our kids and their kids in the future so i, th- I think it you know uh, is, it's going to happen uh i still think you know there's going to be a good market for non-e-bikes as well but you know certainly um you know we are seeing good growth in e-bikes and e-bikes have grown this year where you know so it's it's it slowed a little bit this year but it's still in a positive trend so and and we're still a long way behind uh, other countries so yeah i think this is uh, an exciting opportunity but again it takes money and investment for shops to hold stock you know distributors to hold the stock you know it has a whole extra level of um, you know implications with it but um But, you know, it's it's going to be a big category, that's for sure. And it already is quite a big category, but I think it's got a long way to go yet.
0: Yeah, sure. We could probably do a whole show about e-bike leasing, so we'll leave that one for now. So let's get into Shimano then, which is one of the really big brands that Madison do. What is the aftermarket view for 2023 in supply terms? Are things getting back on track?
1: Yeah, uh, they really are. Uh I'd say I mean there's still a small number of products that um you know we're not going to see till sort of middle of the year although I suspect those times are going to come down. Um but I'd say you know our Shimano stocks are are healthy again pretty much back to normal levels. Um you know, there's just a handful of certain categories where you know or certain products really where it's still uh, the availability is uh, a, a challenge and limited to what we would really like but um i you know honestly i think by the time we get to summer we'll be in a really good stock position on everything it's um you know we are seeing some of the lead times reduce already on schmada so they they you know they've done a hell of a lot to uh, ramp up production i mean the, the, their demand was just incredible what they uh coped with and what they've had to do and um you know they they've worked all the way through through some quite challenging you know obviously they manufacture in several countries uh, and some of those countries had uh, incredibly strict um, rules during COVID which um, you know including complete shutdowns so it's been challenging for them but you know I would say that they're pretty much back there and certainly I think by the time after Easter time I think we'll be seeing pretty much normal availability on everything uh, back to more usual so yeah, they they they're pretty much on top of it all again I'd say.
0: Well, that's going to be music to a, a lot of people's ears. Awesome. So to finish up then, um as we're recording Ice spike lands soon. It's now Ice spike North and an i-Spike South. So what's on this year? So who's in the room and why should people attend? Uh, well, uh well you know we, we we're shaking up a little bit for next year.
1: We haven't had one the last one we did was uh sort of end of February 2020. None of us quite knew what was about to happen to us four weeks later, but um, this time we, we've tried to, um, we've we moved it just the beginning of March. Uh, we have uh, a northern one up in, at Manchester Velodrome, which I appreciate some people in Scotland will say that's not north, but it's north of England and it's a bit near to Scotland, so hopefully... Uh, it's a bit more convenient for people and obviously the the, the second one uh, later in that same week is uh, at uh, tobacco dock the tower bridge so it's very easy to get to close to london airport or uh, london bridge station but you know it's, it's not far away from all the mainline uh, mainline stations in london um we are all of our suppliers will be there everyone's in attendance um We've got lots of things to announce, which will be a bit further down the line because it's still not until March. But um, it's going to be a much more of an experiential um, show, we hope, so people can get their hands on product, use the product. So I think it's, yeah, we've got lots of fun things lined up. And even at the Velodrome, uh, Team GB, on one of the days we're there, Team GB will actually be uh, riding around doing one of their training sessions. So if if that floats your boat, then that that will be uh, happening as well. So, um, but there'll be our usual sort of uh, raft of uh, seminars and uh, various things going on. And we've got some good entertainment lined up for uh, both venues in the evening. So, um, and I think, you know, certainly, There's more fun opportunity for things in the evening in Manchester and London um, than there is necessarily in Milton Keynes. So, got some good things lined up, and you know, hopefully, people will, um, you know, all sign up. We've had initial sign ups being very positive. So, uh, and it is still quite you know a few months away yet. So, but uh, yeah, it's it's hopefully you know doing one on a Sunday and a Monday in Manchester should cover people that in the past have uh you know uh, not been able to come but they you know because we haven't done the show on a sunday so i'm hoping those guys who who asked for that will turn up um and i think also the london venue sort of if people want to come down and spend a long weekend down there um you know it finishes on the friday the hotel's great and we can again help with that if they want to stay for a longer weekend so um you know ho- hopefully it ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of our customers and uh and i think certainly for next year given you know, it's it's been a while since we've had a good get together, and given what we we're talking about earlier on on this podcast about uh, really using the time to think about how you move your business forward, it's uh, we really recommend they should come because it's there, there'll be a lot of benefits in them doing so.
0: Yes, certainly. I mean, you know, just speaking through my own personal experience in the bike industry, as it's all been about the people. It's all been about the relationships and the connections yeah. that you make, both professionally and just having fun together as well so sounds like a great thing ice bike on tour uh, get yourself down there guys and as dom said he's he's very much out there if you want to get in touch with him and of course you can visit us at cyclingindustry.news we're on cycling industry um, chat on facebook and then at cyclingindustrynews on Instagram and Twitter as well. Dom, have you got any websites or social media handles you'd like people to check out? Um,
1: um, well, it depends whether you're, um, if you're pro-Brexit, you probably better not follow me. Um, if, if you're not a fan of Brexit, I'm on Twitter at Dominic Langen, um, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn for more sort of business related stuff. So uh, under Dominic Langan as well, so uh, yeah.
0: More than, uh, more, than, more than welcome to join if you want.
1: <laughs> if you're really? happy to
0: hear my rantings. <laughs> Definitely, always. Well, Dom, thanks so much for joining us. Really, really great to speak to you. And we'll catch up soon. Have a great 2023. Thank you very much. Thank you. So a lot of thanks to Dom there. I'm now joined by Adrian Maudsley from Rally. How are you doing, Adrian?
2: I'm very well. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Sean.
0: That's really great to have you on the podcast. Um, for people who aren't Rally dealers and maybe haven't come across you before, could you tell us what your
2: role is in Rally, please? Yeah, my current role is head of IBD sales for both bikes and parts and accessories. So, if you're not dealing with Rally or you're not familiar with what we do on the bike side, we have obviously the world famous Rally brand. We have the e-performance brand High Bike, the performance and electric bike brand Lapierre. Uh, from France and recently we've taken on Babu, which is one of the market leaders in e-cargo and e-mobility. On the parts and accessory side, we have brands like uh, SRAM, Continental, Stans, Met, huge portfolio. So I manage the the, the IBD network, uh, been at Raleigh for about 15, 16 years now, started off in account management, moved up to key account management, and then finally ended up here as head of IBD sales. Um, My background, I've ridden a bike pretty much all my life. I got into BMX racing when I was about 9 or 10 in the big boom in the 80s. Love that. Then progressed to road racing. Got to quite a good sort of um, national level. uh, Spent a few years based in Central Europe, racing over there. um, Pretty much done anything to do with sort of cycling or competitive cycling or leisure cycling. So mountain biking, road, BMX, track, gravel, I pretty much love it all, really. So yeah, yeah. I've sort of always grown up around bikes and been fascinated with bikes. And um, obviously, when I was a a youngster, um, particularly when I got into sort of road racing, rally had quite a strong presence with Rally Banana um, and teams like that. And to sort of finally end up working for Rally was almost—and it sounds a bit corny and a bit of a cliche—but almost like a dream come true. Uh, So yeah, um, that's a little bit about myself
0: thanks that's really great so obviously it's been an incredible um last few years for the bike industry but the idea of this podcast is to look back on the last 12 months so yep. would you say there's been big changes going on in the last 12 months and if so how's it changed say from a retail point of view and then from a distributor point of view as well
2: yeah i think there's been for sure there's been big changes i mean you know the the COVID period. It was an unfortunate period for everyone. We were in lockdown. It wasn't great. But you know, if you're honest with ourselves, it was a it was a um, massively beneficial time for anything cycling. Uh, locally, I'm in the northwest of England. I've never seen as many people out on bikes in that period, and obviously that kicked back into sales for our retailers. So, yeah, you know, prior prior to, prior to you know, twenty twenty 2020 and twenty twenty one were huge years for the bike industry. I suppose if you have a a big party for two years, you're always going to get a bit of a hangover and a bit of a headache. Our class 2022 was a little bit of a hangover. Lots of positives, but a little bit tougher. The market's become tougher, obviously. There are pressure on household uh, disposable cash. The global economy is under pressure. So there are things which are making uh, trade a li- little bit more difficult, a little bit more demanding than perhaps 2020 or 2021. That said, for Rally, uh, as a business, 2022 has been... Very positive. We started off at the beginning of the year introducing a new B two b century, which mirrors our sort of uh, European Axel uh, Group partners. So that's been great. That's some good feedback from from, from dealers from that. Um, we've taken on new brands. Mentioned Babu before and e mobility. We've taken on brands like Stands. Um, so it's been it's been a year of transition in terms of you know new systems, new brands. We've also created. Two new experience centres: a rally one in Nottingham, and a high bike one in partnership with Raceco Cycles in the Midlands. So we're sort of developing our retail presence in the UK and Ireland. Um, but having said that, you know, we, we all know we're speaking earlier prior to the recording of this. The you know the 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 bike industry is 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 going through in in some areas tough times. Um, there's a sort of um, a realignment. Uh, of, of demand uh, that coupled with an increase in supply in certain products, so more supply, demand drops off. All of a sudden, you've got a market that's got a little bit of tension in it, and I think that's where we are at the moment. We're, we're in a market where there's a little bit of tension. Uh, hopefully, that tension will sort of massage itself out into into twenty twenty three and beyond. Um, but yeah, it's it's the, the bike industry. I've always said this: it's quite um, it's bond proof. It's generally been recession proof. It was COVID proof. Um, we've just got to make sure uh, that going forwards we push cycling as a, as a, as a feasible means of transportation or commuting, and of health and lifestyle uh, uh, measures. You know, keep pushing cycling as that sort of, that must-have tool. And, and I think we're in a great place. Um, in terms for retailers, yeah, it's the last twelve months. Um, again, uh, the same for distributors. It, it's been, it's been a fairly tough market. Um, as i said before we've seen two years of sort of through the roof sales Mm -hmm. and demand dropped off now slightly in some areas i would say for us as a business electric bike sales haven't dropped off or only marginally where we've seen the big drop off it's on sort of sub 1000 pound non-electric bikes and parts and accessories in certain sectors i've seen a decline Um, but generally for us e-bike sales are very very healthy we are quite lucky that we've got three or four very strong electric bike brands. I think for retailers, obviously that drop-off in demand and footfall um it reduces the the chance of a sale so their conversion rate to actually sell a product is is minimized. Um, they've still got to pay bills. Uh inflation's a big topic. Everyone's bills are going up heating etc etc so yeah it's it is a tough time for, for, for retail. Uh, I think you'd be you think you'd be lying if you said otherwise but I do think Cycling is in uh, the, the bike industry is in a great position to sort of come through it, and and start moving up again in uh, in, in 2023.
0: And I think you might have already answered in some degree uh, the next question because I wanted to yep. look at. 2023 and what your expectations are for the retail market there but obviously you've said that Raleigh is really getting into cargo bikes which used to be something that was very niche and is now more and more mainstream and of course e-bikes which is something that I noticed Raleigh got in fairly early on so when we started doing training in e-bikes it was bikes on loan from Raleigh often that we would be using for uh, training students in so I assume you're seeing e-bikes and cargo bikes as, as a big part of 2023 what else do you see is going to be happening
2: yeah i think it's it's difficult you know gazing to crystal ball and predicting the future is always difficult i think if i'm honest i think early h1 half one next year we're not going to see all the issues uh, disappear that we're seeing now that said as i said previously cycling is an extremely positive place you know whether you're riding a bike for pleasure sport commuting the perception of bikes that have been high in the UK. You know, um I say, I'm based in the northwest of England. There's a previously, you know, around here, if you saw someone on a road bike 10 years ago, you probably knew them, they were in a club. Nowadays, if you go out locally to me, you'll see gangs of uh, men and a lot of women now riding bikes and girls, which is great. Uh, you've seen lots of people using uh, electric bikes and bikes for commuting and to ride to school and university. So I think cycling's in a, in a super positive place. Um, as I say, I think H1, the issues we're seeing now in terms of uh, pressure on the economy, um, demand, I don't see it suddenly changing overnight if I'm honest with you, but I think it'll get better. And I think as we get into H2, uh, hopefully we'll see a normalization back to sort of, um, not maybe not maybe not the COVID levels, but pre-COVID levels in terms of demand for product. Um, yeah, it's difficult the minute, you know, when you're getting the sort of, the, the 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 mainstream press, uh, whether it's TV or radio or newspapers saying, "Don't turn your heating on," you know, food's going up, you know, your, your fuel's going up, and in your car, it, it does it does start making people question uh, whether they're going to buy a new bike or a new bike accessory. That said, with fuel prices going up, we are seeing uh, more and more particular electric bikes being used for transportation as opposed to a tool. Uh, leisure or pleasure tool so people are working out quite quickly that if you if you fill your your diesel or petrol car up 10 or 15 times you can buy quite a nice electric bike uh for for the same same amount of cash
0: yeah and i think that's only going to get more and more so isn't it so we've seen um some Shops and bike businesses really thriving in the last 12 months. We've also sadly seen some quite well-established and quite well-known businesses go under. Uh, we're recording today on December the 1st, and I just found out that the Bicycle Academy has, has just closed its doors for the final time, which is really sad, you know, incredibly high-quality um, yeah. business there. So if you were to look at shops or businesses that you expect to really thrive or maybe not do so well next year? What do you think is differentiating the two?
2: I think if you're honest, you know, retailing, whether you, it's the bike industry or, or, or any of the industries, it's become far more professional in the last 10 years. You know, consumer standards are a lot higher now. You know, they want to be able to view or buy a product either in-store or online from the chosen retailer. They want an experience. Um, so I don't think it's. I don't think it's, you know, maybe... Maybe sort of 10 years ago, it was good enough just to have a sort of fairly decent store and um, a sort of average website and the right brands. I think, yeah, you'd still need a nice store and a good website and the right brands. Um, without that, you're probably going to be, um, I'm not saying you're going to go out of business, um, but uh, it's going to be tough. You know, As I said previously, consumers are very demanding now. The way they shop has changed, You know, an omnichannel strategy, for most retailers and distributors is the way forward Um you've got to give people the choice of where they wish where they want to shop whether it's online or in store you've got to provide that service and that's one of the things that we kicked off a long time ago uh, through initially through blade.co.uk our, our b2c site we offered a, an omnichannel, omni-channel strategy for our retailers where where consumers could buy a bike uh, or unlimited p a product through our website and we we transact the sale and then the customer can can choose to send it to a retailer they could pdi it and build it up and they'd get a commission for doing that and it's worked really well and um, particularly in the COVID period when um, when uh, and there's an option of click and collect to home which we pdi the box as well what we did is in the, in the COVID period, we actually, because a lot of shops didn't want customers coming in because of the fear of getting COVID, we actually paid them the full commission for not touching the bikes, but sent the sent the bikes directly to to, to consumers' homes, and we PDI, PDI'd the bikes in our own service centre. So it does work quite well, and um, it's something that we're uh, we're keen to progress with our with our key retailers. But I think I think yeah, I think look, bottom line is um, there's a place for independent bike shops um you don't have to have a sort of 6 7000 pound square foot business with the best website and a huge marketing budget to make it work obviously that's very advantageous there are lots of high quality bike shops that have been established for a long time or a short time that are one or two man operations they do a good job they offer great service i think particularly with e bikes um not that they need much maintenance nowadays they're pretty much plug and play um I think with e-bikes, people do like that reassurance that they can go to a retail store, they can test ride it, they can get advice from the sales assistant or the owner. If they have an issue, they can go back, they can get it serviced, get their update. So I think what we've seen with electric bikes in particular is that um, a lot of those purchases are, are are made in store, and that's got a real benefit for IBDs. Um, not to say e-bikes aren't sold online, obviously they are, but we are seeing that a lot more people do choose to go to store to buy an electric bike. I think one of the ways that we've seen sort of retailers adapt to this new way of working, obviously, you know, um, COVID that big that big cash boost from COVID brought a lot of revenue and profitability into businesses. A lot of our retailers have invested in their own setup, so whether it's new retail stores, new warehousing. Um, Better websites, uh, investing in social media. Um, yeah, a, a lot of our dealers have invested that cash that they made to to sort of future proof their business for the for the next few years.
0: So I was speaking to our wonderful rally rep, Nick Reardon, recently, yes. and he just dropped in the conversation. Oh, you know we've been bought recently, don't you? And I was like, Oh, I didn't. So. Um, rally's been bought got a new parent company has that changed anything has that been you know has that enabled you to to buy new brands and expand does will that mean any difference, positive changes for the dealers
2: it's not at the moment it's business as usual if i'm honest um kkr bought axel group uh, early this year um, obviously axel group is a big play in the bike industry on both bikes and parts and accessories, as well as the sort of well known brands like High Bike and Rally and Lapierre. They are a lot of Eurocentric brands, particularly in the e-bike market, like Winora, for example, and Sparta, and then they've got um, uh, a big footprint on the parts and accessories business uh, globally. Um so it's not there's no there's no immediate changes to the way we operate and actually operate. What I would what I would say is um the KKR buyout and investment will allow us to develop our current bike and PNA ranges, so we can we can we can keep that momentum going and, and, and try and produce the very best bikes and, and develop our PNA ranges. I think where probably we'll see a lot more change and, and and resource and investment is in our digital offering as a group. So they've got quite an expertise. So I believe in that market and in that field. I think that's where we'll get some real some real value from KKR. But at the minute, it's pretty much business as usual, um, and we're doing what we worked out to do two three four years ago
0: well it certainly sounds positive because um i'm sure many um people listening will agree with me that a well functioning b2b just makes everything so much easier you know when you can just see everything that's happening with with your accounts at the click of a button and you can actually search through keywords or part numbers and, and get all the data up it really makes a big difference so Obviously, we don't necessarily know what's going on with the distributors, but we tend to have an idea just you know, watching the news on what what's going on globally in terms of raw products being made, um, often in the Far East and you know what's happening with the supply chain a little bit with a massive disruption in the last few years. And still, as we speak, there's pretty major COVID lockdowns in China, although it looks from today like they might actually be taking notice and starting to move on, you know, from that, because it, it does look completely unworkable yep. what they've been trying to do. Um, what, are the, what have been or are the big challenges for distributors like yourselves that, again, we may not know about?
2: I mean, there are obvious ones, you know, we know about Brexit, inflation, um supply issues uh, delays on product being delivered i think that one of the big issues for us that we've turned into a positive is uh is logistics and warehouse space i mean you know we went through a period in sort of 2020 and 21 where you said before massive demand from consumers and retailers very very um uh, a real a real bottleneck for supply for all brands including us Then at the sort of back end of 21, we that supply chain got a lot better. Um, So we started getting big drops of bikes and parts and accessories. Obviously, you don't want to turn that business that product away because you've ordered it, you need it, you want to need that for the next 12, 24 months and beyond. So we got in a position where, um, in some cases, we're getting a bit tight on space. That means we had to sort of uh, outsource uh, external warehousing, which is never never uh, never cost effective. So we decided what we would do is actually build a five and a half thousand, Well, we build a temporary warehouse on the side of our existing warehouse and that holds about five and a half thousand bikes, mainly e-bikes and I think around about two, 300 e-cargo bikes. So we've actually been able to sort of take some of that product um, off site, put it back on site in a quite slick uh, new warehouse. So yeah, that was one of the things, a sort of a negative that was turned into a positive. Um, so yeah i mean like 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 our retailers at the minute i think if you went to most retailers in the uk and and, and asked a question what the biggest problem was a problem is yes demand is is probably number one but i think space is number two i mean most most retailers have taken in bikes and parts and accessories um in big chunks the last 12 months um and warehouses are pretty much full as is uh, as is shop floor space but as i say for us it was a negative that we turned into a positive
0: well you mentioned the elephant in the room there brexit we we're going to come on to that last <laughs> yeah, yeah. um dom yeah. alluded for for his hatred of it um what are the cold hard facts for someone in your position and you know knock on for the uk bike industry as you see it
2: yeah i mean brexit for us the business has not been great i mean you know we're a eurocentric business a lot of our bikes are assembled within europe you know adding tariffs for import or export oh, don't forget we're you know we're a UK based company and we we do service uh, Ireland um so you know tariffs and paperwork which which is a lot of paperwork for import or export are never welcome plus the additional admin costs and time yeah it's been i mean I've, I must admit at first you know early early 2022 it was it was quite problematic i don't think many courier companies were sort of set up the the government had sort of obviously announced it sometime. We, we knew it was happening but the sort of the detail to my knowledge hadn't been worked out not from rally's end from sort of uh forwarding companies and and and, and courier companies that we that we deal with so yeah a lot of a lot of uncertainty to, to start with a lot of head scratching thankfully we've got on top of it um but it still doesn't change it you know to to, to bring product in certain products we're getting charged a tariff in some cases we've minimized that in terms of the rrp uh we've taken the hit in some cases we've had to raise prices because because we can't take that hit so it's a difficult situation um i'd certainly say for rally brexit has not been a good thing uh no far from it um but uh you know we are where we are we've just got to deal with it in the in the best way that we can uh which we tried to do
0: so getting on to something that seems to be incredibly positive and this Seems to be a change just in the last few months. I mean, really, quite recently, is in the availability of components. So, yeah. just you know, looking this morning at the different major B two B's in the UK, uh, what I'm seeing on on Accentry is lots and lots of SRAM group sets available. There was only yeah. one, um, I think it was a Force um, group set that was saying 2024 expectancy and everything else was either in stock or due very very soon and we're seeing the same with other major brands as well lots and lots of in stock in stock in stock which is obviously just wonderful for all of us to see again so with sram which is obviously one of your major um, aftermarket brands there do you think 2023 is it getting back to normal in supply terms
2: yeah, sorry. Apologies, that was my dog barking then. So, That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's not a podcast
0: without a dog bark.
2: I gotta say, yeah. Uh, but going on to Shram, yeah, no, we we've seen a definite improvement. Um, I mean, if you went back probably to sort of uh, mid-year last year or the year before on certain products, if you're looking for us, maybe a Shram forced cassette, for example. The lead times. It was you know if you you hadn't got one in the system, it was saying you know July two thousand and twenty-three or beyond. Thankfully, we've seen some improvement in supply, uh, and now with SRAM, you're actually looking at sort of the standard lead times that we that we had pre-COVID. So it's definitely getting back onto track. And I think if I'm honest, there's probably been some cancellations from the OE sector and from the sort of aftermarket sector, which has meant that certain products have arrived sooner. Uh, than we thought. But yeah, it's, it's in a lot stronger position now than it was um, uh, 12 months ago, that's for sure, which is great, which is great, because there's nothing more annoying if you put an access group set and you can't get a cassette or a chain or whatever to, to actually finish the job off or replace. So thankfully, and fingers crossed, we'll see that. Continuing, what I would say is um, by working with our key partners and making sure that we've got accurate forecasting from both ends, you know that's what we're doing as a business to make sure that we've got the must-have componentry in stock when it's needed. But but yeah, um definitely definitely improvement, and and I think you'll see you see things get even better over the next few months.
0: When we spoke to Donny Perry uh, fairly recently, yep. and I I spoke to him again last week actually for something with my own business. One of the things that Donny said is a lot of people made the mistake of over stocking whether it's individual stores or even bike brands and he was saying to me um last week that there's a huge amount of components a huge amount of group sets out there but they're just being hoarded in warehouses (laughs) by in the far east and he thinks that because the demand for those is dropping off because of course the normal supply chains are reopening He thinks there might be a big kind of grey market or even semi-black market dumping of those products, flooding the market. Is that something that Rally have been aware of? And do you think that dealers should be um, aware of this?
2: I mean, yes, it it happens, you know, and and it will happen again. I can't really comment on whether there'll be a big influx of grey market group sets because, I'm not. If I'm honest, I'm not in a position to to to, to clarify that. But yeah, you would think you, you know definitely what you've said does make sense with 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 oversupply and then demand dropping off. People, uh, you know, uh, manufacturers, distributors, suppliers need to move that product. There are a lot of um, European-based and global-based agents that sell that product. So yeah, you, certainly you, you could see that happen, which which is not great for anyone. Um, Obviously, I mean, in terms of the products that we sell, we want to sell the legitimate aftermarket aftermarket product to consumers. But, but yeah, I think you are right. That is a, definitely a, uh, a threat. And um,
0: another question that wasn't in the pre-show notes, so apologies, yeah. but just nope. uh, being slightly spontaneous yeah. here, okay. is I was on um, Twitter before we were recording, and Dave Arthur, the journalist, was saying, hey, are you ready for the new yada yada group set? and you know dealers were coming online saying we can't even get the old one right now Mm. and it do you think that this business model of continually bringing out the new the new the new is it feels a you know i'm a bit discombobulated by it all at the moment because we've got so many different non-compatible standards we've got so many different versions of different group sets you know the change from 11 to 12 speed and different mechanical yeah. different electronic group sets you know even you know disc brake systems having lots of different versions do you think it might benefit the industry to just to settle down for a little bit not necessarily bringing out new product that we can't maybe get anyway just get the supply chain rolling again for a certain time
2: Def, definitely i mean in terms of rally um we are on the bike side for, for the rally brand we actually stopped uh working to model years about four years ago Mm -hmm. so we said what we'll do is for example on our sort of best-selling electric bike range the motors range we said we will only and for all bikes we will only change when it's necessary to change so if a new system comes out or some new technology and new group set on 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 the sort of electric side then fine let's change but let's not change every year for the sake of changing Um, to be fair if you look at our sister companies high bike and lapierre they've not gone down that road fully But if you look at both brands there are a lot more um models that continue from 2022 into 2023 so i think yes certainly i think within our group we are we are taking feedback from retailers that that this continual model year change or changing stuff every year for the sake of it isn't isn't great um particularly when you've had say the supply problems the last sort of uh you know 12 to 24 months so yeah, we rally. That's been pretty much part of our philosophy, say for the last three or four years, with our other brands uh, that we distribute and sell. Uh, it's slowly changing. Um, that's not to say, like I said before, if you, you know, if you've got a road bike and there's a new Altogrid 12-speed set come out, of course you're going to change it. That, that has to be that, that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's a given. But I think yeah, changing things every year for the sake of it, when it's essentially the same product, is probably not a good thing for anyone. And try, trying to sort of um, When it comes to componentry parts, when it comes to parts or componentry, um, not giving the market enough time for that product to actually land and sell through before you change it again, that can be tricky. So, in in essence, to your question, yes, I think we do need to take a step back and perhaps breathe, uh, let the stuff enter the market, let the stuff sell in the market, and then think about changing it.
0: Yeah, that's it. I mean, certainly, as someone who's running. a a workshop you know just to have all the spares you know back and available again with with all we want for christmas so adrian it's been wonderful to speak to you and really value your insights if people want to carry on the conversation either with you personally or maybe uh, curious about getting involved with rally if they're not already where can they find you on social media or any other way to get in touch
2: well, I'm on, I'm on social media, <laughs> so I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all, all that sort of thing. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, they can email me at Adrian adriannmordsley at rally.co.uk. That's M-A-W-D-S-L-E-Y. Um, or they can contact, uh, phone or email, our main uh, rally contact points on our B2B or our B2C sites, and the, you can be directed through to myself. So, yeah, I'm more than happy to speak to anyone about what we've discussed today, anything that we haven't discussed today um yeah not a problem drop me a line on social media via email and let's talk
0: so that is a wrap not only for the cycling industry news review of 2022 but it's it's our wrap for the podcast for 2022 you can keep in touch on cyclingindustry.news website at Cycling Industry News, uh, Twitter and Instagram. Twitter's still here, by the way, and Cycling Industry Chat on Facebook. So thanks so much for listening. Mark and I are currently planning all of next year's content. So if there's any guests you really want to hear, if there's any content you'd love us to investigate, then please send that over.